0: Headed for um, ETC and Children's Church, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter six. You also will be turning in a few minutes to Galatians chapter five. If you want to hold your place there, also, anybody get any rain at their house? <laughs> if if you're the one who's praying for rain, if you would if you would stop and if you'd come by the house and pray for money, <laughs> you're doing a Doing a fantastic job. Praise the Lord for the rain. the end of the year sermon. Read these two verses here in First Corinthians chapter six, verses nineteen to twenty. Would you stand just a moment for in honor of the reading of God's word? Scriptures say, beginning in verse number nineteen, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Father, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in this transitional time of year that happens uh, every year. For the past couple of months, we have been overran by commercials and advertisements telling us how we need to go and buy all of these things to bring into our house for Christmas, we're uh, over and over ever since. Uh, well, it used to start in October. Now it starts about the day after uh, July the fifth. Uh, they begin running commercials about Christmas. I went into a store yesterday, and and they already have Valentine's candy out um, for uh, February the fourteenth. So we get we get way ahead of the season. But ever since about October, we've been seeing these commercials about all the things that we need to make our lives better and all the things that we need that will make our lives happier and all the things that we need to bring into our homes. And now, since Christmas Day, the commercials have changed and now we see all the advertisements for all the things that we need to buy to store and organize all the things that we bought for Christmas. Have you noticed that? All the Lowe's and Home Depot and Ace Hardware, all the tubs and all the things that you can buy. We got a catalog in the mail yesterday, I noticed, that had all of these great organizational ideas to make our lives better and easier because we just bought all these things for Christmas that are taking up all kinds of space in our house. So I remember when the boys were younger and a few days after Christmas... I would go and and the new had worn off of the toys that they had, and they weren't you know they were just kind of lying around uh, and they weren't paying them any attention anymore, so I would get those toys and I would go to a closet and I would open that closet going to put them there in the closet, and all of a sudden when I would open that closet, everything from the last four or five years was already there and it would all just like it was coming sliding out towards me. Any of the rest of you have that experience as a parent? And every year when that that happens, I will vow to myself, I'm going to clean out all of these closets. I'm going to have the biggest eBay sale that has ever happened in America. We're going to be filthy rich and these closets will never be cluttered and we'll never have this junk and never have all this stuff again. And every year I will fill up a a few bags, those big 55-gallon bags, you know, and and I'll fill those up, and I'll feel so good about myself. And then I notice in the garage that not only do I have closets that are full, but I have a garage full of big black 55-gallon bags of stuff that I said I was going to put on eBay and make a fortune with. And eventually that stuff will transition and and maybe – find its way to the Benevolence Center or somewhere. But every year, I I say the same thing. So this year, I've decided to do something different. I bought this book, another thing to clutter up my house. This book is titled, The Life-Changing Art of Tidying Up, The Japanese Way of Decluttering and Organizing. I'm on page number two. It's pretty good. But the premise of this book is this. The premise of the book is that when you're going to declutter and organize your life and your home, you don't do it a little bit at a time. You go whole out into this measure, and you might as well just hire a dumpster and put it in your front yard and just get rid of everything all at one time. Now, I'll have to do that. I'll have to send Bree away for about a week to, to accomplish this because Bree holds on to things. I've told y'all this before. She has sweaters in her closet from the eighth grade, and she'll tell me we're not getting rid of that. It may come back around in style someday. Any of you other fellows have that problem with you at your house? Uh, that but so I, I applied a few of these principles to my desk in my office. It had been a long time since I had seen the wood grain on, on my desk. And so I just took one day, and man, it, it, it was just amazing. Our custodian, Mike, came in the next morning, and he walked into my office. He goes, It's one of the first places he goes to get the trash and the vacuum. And he told me a couple hours later on, I thought I was in the wrong office. I'd never seen the top of your desk before. It was amazing. Kathy brought in something for me to sign and when I signed it, she looked at my desk and she said, you're not expecting the rest of us to do this, are you? We'll we'll get there. But there are those moments where we just say there's just too much clutter, there's too much junk, there's just too much going on and life would be so much simpler without all these things. Don't you think that there's times when God looks at our lives And God sees all the junk and all the clutter and all the things that are taking space in our hearts and in our souls. All the things of this world and all the worries and the anxieties and the cares that we take around with us and all the things that weigh us down. And don't you think that he looks at our lives and he looks inside of our hearts and he says with despair that he would love to have a good house cleaning in our hearts. And he'd love to take some of those things out. And he'd love to replace those things with better things. I bet sometimes as he's looking, he says, I've got a great opportunity there in Michael's heart to do some spiritual house cleaning. In the passage that we read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we see God taking just uh, that type of opportunity through the writing of the Apostle Paul to a church in Corinth that is has really lost its way and has really filled their church up with so many different things and so many things of the world around them that they're not being used by God the way that they could be and the way that they should be. And God, through the Holy Spirit, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sets Paul down And Paul writes two letters to the church at Corinth. And in this first letter, he just bluntly tells them the things that God needs to do in their hearts and in their lives and in their church to improve the situation. And in Corinthians, we learn a very important spiritual principle that I got from a man named Gene Getz this week. And Gene Getz said this, Though we live under grace... We are never to use our freedom in Christ to violate his will. We're never to live in such a way and never to fill our hearts and our souls up with things that would violate God's will for our lives. Now the church at Corinth had become guilty of using their freedoms to violate the will of Christ. Now there's evidence in the writing back and forth between Paul in the letter that he writes to them, there's evidence that there had been some minor communication between the church at Corinth and Paul before he written this letter. There's some indications through how he speaks to them and some of the things that he knows about them that others have told him some of the things that they've said, some of the things that they're doing. Paul has some insight from the church as to what's going on there. And somewhere along the way, Paul had admonished the Corinthians and said something to this effect. Don't associate with immoral people. Now Paul is saying here, you are in a city that is just spiritually bankrupt and immoral. You're in a city and you're surrounded by some of the greatest immorality that is in the earth today. And what he's saying when he says don't associate with immoral people, he's not saying have a holier than now attitude and just pull yourself completely away and hide from these people. What he's saying is you live a godly example in front of them and don't join in to the immorality that is so prevalent in their world that, that is around you. Now, the Corinthians have a, some replies for Paul they have some arguments for Paul. Now, there are popular arguments that we hear in our world today. There are some things that people say and in a spiritual type of sense that you won't find anywhere in the Bible. You will hear people tell you uh, statements like this. Have you ever heard somebody say, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves? You ever heard anybody say that? Well, where where is that in the Bible? You can't find that in the Bible. But people will tell you, now, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. Now, I believe that we ought to help ourselves. We ought to do, and we ought to put forth effort. But the Bible nowhere says that God helps those who help themselves. And if you take that and you try to apply it spiritually, you can distort that in, in a way that will confuse people. Now, the Corinthians have this argument and they say this, they use the word permissible. The Corinthians' argument is this I'm living in grace, and everything is permissible for me. They lean on this word permissible all, all the time in their argument with Paul. Now, Paul has a biblical response to this, and he says this in their argument that everything is permissible. He says this, but not everything is what? Not everything is beneficial. Now, here's the question for the believer this morning in Paul's argument. The question for us as believers in anything that we entertain and anything that we think about doing is this. Does it help you grow and mature in Christ? Just where you're going, what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're listening, what, what, what you're watching, what you're listening to, does it help you grow and mature in your relationship to Christ? That's the question here. And Paul, when, when, the, when the Corinthians argue with him that everything is permissible for them and everything is okay for them to be a partaker of, Paul says, maybe that's true, but everything is not beneficial for you. Look over at, at, if you held your place in Galatians chapter 5 in verse number 1. Paul has a similar argument with the church at, at Galatia, in, in Galatia. And he talks about that they have uh, abused some of their freedom in Christ. And Paul says these words to them. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul says... That freedom from fear and condemnation don't lead us to please ourselves and to go and sin, but freedom from condemnation and fear lead us to want to what? It leads us to want to obey God. Because God has freed us through Christ. He has given us freedom in Christ and we no longer have to worry about condemnation. We no longer have to stand in fear of our relationship and our standing with God. And he says because of that, it doesn't give you a license to go and sin. What it does, it should give you a desire through the Holy Spirit to want to live as closely as you can to Christ and to want to imitate Christ as much as possible and to want to be like Him in every situation. And he uses this term here when he says stand firm. He's talking as he was as he does in Ephesians chapter six when he's talking about the uh, the the armor uh, the of the spirit that we put on. He's saying that we need to guard and we need to be on alert for how we live in this world. He's saying, "Yeah, you have been freed from sin, you've been freed from fear and condemnation, but don't use that as as anything other, but as." an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to grow you and to cause you to want to obey God. Then he goes on in Galatians chapter 5 and 13 and he talks about using our freedom responsibly. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Every time that the Corinthians would use this word permissive, They meant it in in a way that they were abusing the freedoms that God had given them uh, through grace. But the gospel does not free us in any way to pursue sin. And again we go back to that Corinthians argument where they say everything is permissible for me. And then Paul again comes back in, in, in the letter to the Corinth with a biblical response. And he says, I will not be mastered by anything as he says here you've been freed from this yoke of slavery why would you go back and pick up the sin that you've been freed from and put that yoke of slavery back on you why would you go back and live as you were living before you became a new creation in Christ he says it just doesn't make sense to me um, the, the, the Corinthians were living in such a way and and become imitators of their society so much that some of them were actually later on had to be talked to about they were getting drunk at the communion table. And Paul would come to them and he would say, I'm not going to be mastered by anything that I've laid down. The Corinthians would come back with another argument in verse number 13 of chapter 6 and they would say, to Paul that food is for the stomach and stomach for the food. They were talking about the sexual immorality that had become so pervasive in their church. And, and, And they said, hey, these desires are only natural. God gave us these natural desires and we're only acting out in the way that he gave us these desires. And Paul would come back with this biblical response and say to them, God will do away with all of these things. He's saying you're going to die someday and your desires will die with you. But the real issue here with the church at Corinth is this, and Paul gets to it here in verses 19 and 20 that we read when he said these words to them, Do you not know that you are the the temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you with whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So I'm not my own anymore. When I asked God for forgiveness of my sins through Jesus Christ, and when he forgave me of those sins, I repented of those sins, the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in my heart and in my life, and the Holy Spirit is who now should be seen as the owner of this temple that I live in. Now, some of you are saying if our body is a temple, then yours is a great cathedral. You're looking at, at how, how much weight I put on during the holidays. But that's how we should live. I bought a house one day. I bought a house. We, Bree and I bought a house from another, from another couple. When we signed the deed to that house, those people moved out. And when we signed that contract, those people moved out, took all of their possessions and left, and we moved in, brought all of our possessions in to live there and to stay. Now, at no point has it ever been, they they were nice, real nice people, but at no point has it ever been a desire of mine to bring those people back and to move them back in and to take up their customs and their habits and their way of doing life. That would just be foreign to us. And in the same way, when we gave our lives over to God as Christians, and the Holy Spirit came into our lives to take up residence, it should be foreign to us to want to go back to any way that we were living before and to take those things into our lives and into our hearts. It would make it, it as uncomfortable as it would make me to bring an old family into our new house. It should make the Holy Spirit even more uncomfortable for us to bring our old way of living and our old life into his temple. And so what Paul is saying here is this. How we live matters. How we live every day of our lives matters. He's telling this church at Corinth that God wants to clean clean house here. And he wants to bring to your attention through the Holy Spirit that the way you're living is wrong. And that it matters how you're living. You are living in a place where the harvest is so ripe for Jesus Christ. And it matters to those around you who don't know Christ how you are living. And there are great similarities between this New Testament city. And the pagan culture that they were living in. And the non-biblical culture that you and I live in today. These Paul's concerns are still relevant. To us today. Because where Paul was living. Where Paul is writing to. Where these people are living in Corinth. There are no absolutes. To them there is no truth. There is no black and white. Everything is a gray area. If it feels good do it. If it's okay for you. And you don't feel bad about doing it. You go ahead and do it. And 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 they live in a way. That says we have total freedom. Freedom. As long as we aren't hurting anyone else, what does it matter how we live? Does the city of Corinth sound anything like the world we live in today? The city of Corinth sounds exactly like the world that you and I live in today. If it feels good, go ahead and do it. If it's, oh, it may be okay for you. It might not be okay for me, but that's all right. Everybody just live and let live. And let's just have total freedom and do what we want to do. Now it's not as long as we don't physically harm anyone. Now it's as long as we don't what? As long as we don't offend anyone. As long as we're politically correct and don't offend anyone. You know where political correctness started in America? Political correctness started right here in pulpits. Not this pulpit in particular, but in pulpits across America. Because men would get up, and they would, they would read, and they would study, and here's what they would think. If I say this, then I'm going, if I point this out, then I'm going to offend this segment of my congregation, and guess what? They're going to leave, and if they leave, then I'll have to leave, and I won't have anywhere to go. That's, what, that's where political correctness in America began. It began in the pulpits in America. And it, and it has, has seeped its way into the rest of our society, Because we're afraid to say what might offend someone else. But Paul takes this church to task here and he says God wants to clean your house and he wants to come in and he wants it to be the way that it should be properly. A.W. Tozer made this statement that Paul is making to this church here in Corinth. He says, A.W. Tozer said this, The best way to prove that a stick is crooked is to set a straight stick beside it. No words need to be spoken. The best way to prove that a stick is crooked is to set a straight stick beside it. So what Paul does to every argument that the Corinthians have here is Paul takes the straight stick of the gospel and he lays it down beside their argument and he shows them that they're wrong. And he shows them the way that they need to improve. Now what is the great measuring stick for you and I here this morning? The great measuring stick for us can be found there, again, in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 22 and 23. And it's called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit should be our measuring stick in life as a Christian. Now, God got my attention a few weeks ago By taking me here to the fruit of the Spirit. I was having a deep and intense struggle inside of me. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong. Everything that I, every prayer that I prayed seemed to be as useless and as hopeless. As if I were reading, as if I were taking an encyclopedia and reading words. Every prayer that I prayed seemed to just bounce off the ceiling and bounce back to me. Everything, every time that I sit, one of my great joys in life is to sit with God's word and to read God's word. And as I would read it, it just sounded, it just didn't sound like it sounded before. When I come to a pulpit to preach, I, there, I, I, I love to the preparation of, of, of preparing a sermon nothing about preparing a sermon had excited me and when i would get up in a pulpit what the words that i would speak and i would sometimes hear those words and i would think that has to be god because that's absolutely not me the words that i would speak from a pulpit would just sound hollow to me and god through a lot of prayer and through a lot of searching and through a lot of of a whole just a, a lot of crying out to god took me back here to these verses. I told you that there's a book in the library by David Jeremiah about the fruits of the Spirit. I thought someone had checked it out, but I checked it out, and I sat down and I read that book, and over and over it began to speak to me and began to show me the things that were wrong in my life. Now, I want to make this statement this morning. You can be living legally, and you can be living morally, and be as far away from God as you possibly can. Understand me. You can be living legally and morally. And be as far away from God as you possibly can be. Because of the things that you allow to get inside of you. And to push the fruits of the spirit out. And so I sat down with my Bible one evening. And I sat down with Bree. Bree. And I said, Bree, you know me better than any other person in the world and you're with me more than any other person in the world. I'm going to read this passage of scripture to you and I want you to tell me honestly how many of these things you see in my life right now. And so I read these verses to her. In Galatians chapter 5, Chad has them there on the screen. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And I said, Bree, I need you to be as honest as you can with me right now. And 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 no one in my life is more honest than Bree is. If I if, sometimes I come in in the evenings and it's the first time she's seen me, and she'll say, "Did you really leave the house with those clothes on?" Um. Or you know, you know, is that is or sometimes she'll see me in the mornings leaving and she'll say are you going to work or are you doing yard work what are you doing here what are you trying to prove nobody is as honest as Brie but when I read those nine fruits of the spirit to her and I asked her for her honest assessment of my life she looked at me and she said maybe a couple but not real strong now I'm your pastor I'm being as honest with you as I possibly can because here's what I had allowed to happen. Not doing anything immoral, not doing anything illegal, but here's what had taken place in my heart. Bitterness, anger, pride, stubbornness. Anybody any of that sound familiar to any of you sitting here? And when when those things are when those things are so prevalent in your heart, then there's no place for love, joy, and peace. It pushes those things to the side. Patience and kindness and goodness that God shows to you and gives you favor in. When when those when bitterness and anger and pride and stubbornness get in into your life, you can't be patient with others the way that God is with you. You can't show the kindness that God shows to you and you can't have that goodness about you. Let me look at just a few of these as we look at our lives this morning. For time's sake, I won't go through all nine of them because I'm thinking about coming back some, because this has had such a profound effect on me, I'm thinking about coming back and preaching a sermon series at some point on these fruits of the Spirit. But just look at your life right now with love, joy, and peace. As we end this year. When Paul talks about love here. He's talking about a love that Jesus has for other people. A love that Jesus said when he said to those who were around his, his, his disciples who were around him. He said the son of man didn't come to be served but to what? But to serve. And Jesus said this type of love. Paul is saying this type of love is exhibited by Jesus in service to others with no regard to what we may benefit from that. Jesus said in John 15, 13, Greater love had no one than this that a man would lay down his life for his friend. It's the kind of love that, that comes from a relationship with Jesus and an a, and a indwelling of the Holy Spirit that causes you to look at other people and to love other people who may be unlovable to everyone else, but in your mind and in your sight, you were put here to serve those people that no one else even wants to love. And, and when we are living in this kind of love, it pushes out fear in our life. 1 Timothy, uh, Paul wrote this to Timothy when he said that perfect love cast out what? cast out fear we don't have fear of, of what if we get involved in this situation or if we get involved with this person that, who, who has a need we don't have a fear of how dirty our hands are going to get or how much time it's going to take or what's what's going to be required of us we jump in with love and we stay there the way that Jesus has stayed with us that's the kind of love that it is and it, it's a love that is not self-protecting We don't look at every situation and figure out how we're going to protect ourselves from getting hurt. But we jump in with a love the way that Jesus jumped in with us and immersed us in. Look at joy as as Paul describes it here in these three. Joy is when we have a delight in God simply for the sheer beauty and worth of what He is. And who He is to us. Joy is when we can honestly say in our lives that Jesus is more important than any other, anyone else in our lives. Jesus is more important than money. Jesus is more important than, than our vocation. Jesus is more important than, than relation, any other relationship. Jesus is first in every single thing that we do. And when we live that way, There is a joy that is birthed and grown in our hearts that is just something that is wonderful and hard to explain. This type of joy is the opposite of despair and the opposite of hopelessness. This type of joy doesn't depend on the circumstance that we're in. This type of joy is there no matter what is happening in our lives. We know that Jesus is along with us We know that he promised us he would never leave us or forsake us and that no man could ever snatch us out of his hand and we live in such a way of knowing that that every other situation, no matter what the circumstances are, we can have the joy of Jesus in everything we do. And then he he says that peace. Peace is when we have confidence and we rest in the wisdom and control of God. When we are not, when we have come to a point in our lives to where we say my wisdom and my way of doing things is not good enough and I'm going to give complete control of my life over to God and I'm going to rely on His wisdom. I'm going to rest in His wisdom. I'm going to rest in what He has done for me and I'm going to have peace. Peace. You know what peace replaces in our lives? How many of you are, are, you don't have to raise your hand, but just think about it. How many of you are people of anxiousness and worry? Probably a great number of people in our congregation would say that I'm a person of anxiousness and worry. Jesus said what? Don't worry about what? Don't worry about tomorrow. It has enough worry of its own. Anxiousness and worry will will push things out of will push the peace of God out of your life, and God wants us to have peace in our hearts and in our lives. One of the most one of the greatest memories of my life is the peace that I had when I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. The peace that came into my life that day was astounding. I had probably sat in a, in a, and listened to a sermon and heard a preacher say that there was a peace that passeth all understanding. And I couldn't understand that because I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't available in a relationship with God to understand that. But man, when Jesus came into my life and when he forgave me of my sins and when the Holy Spirit came to live within me, the greatest thing that I remember is that peace. That peace. And, and here's, here's what I want to tell you is if you are in a place to where you remember that peace and you became a play, a, to, to a place of anxiousness and worry, and those things have become prevalent in your life, God wants to come in and he wants you He wants to open up that closet where that anxiousness and worry are just falling out. and He wants to take those things and he wants to put them in a big garbage bin somewhere and he wants to take and replace it with a peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that can only come through resting in the wisdom and control of God. And that's where he wants us to be. And what I want to challenge you to do today as we close out this year, I want you to do the same thing that I did as your pastor. I want you to take this passage of scripture in Galatians and I want you to set it down in front of you and read these attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, the things that the Spirit of God should be producing in our lives, and ask yourself this question, how many of these things do I see daily in my life? And what do I need to get rid of in my life for God to be able to grow these things here? See, Paul said this to the church at Corinth, Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes God needs needs to clean out some things out of our lives for us to exhibit more and more of the fruit of the Spirit. Because we live in a world where people need to see love, joy, and peace. And people need to feel from us patience, kindness, and goodness. And see faithfulness, gentleness, and self-discipline and self-control in our hearts and in our lives. This is how that I have ended this year and how I want to begin the new year. And I, I just gave my house over to God. And I said, God, take these things from me and replace them with the things that were there before the relationship that we that we have enjoyed before. And I want to tell you, it's a wonderful thing to know that God is doing a work in your life. This morning, as our musicians come, I want to challenge us in this time of invitation. I want to say to you, maybe you need to pray and maybe you need to, to look and examine the, 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 the temple that the Holy Spirit lives in with you. And maybe you need to look at these fruits of the Spirit and say, This is missing in my life. And I want to, I want to enjoy this fruit that can only come from a relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit growing in my life. Maybe you need to pray where you are. Maybe you want to come to the altar here and pray. Maybe whatever you need to do. But this is a time of decision, a time of worship, a time of reflection to take what we've just talked about and for you to apply it to your heart. If you leave here without applying it to your heart, then you've come for the wrong reason. So come this morning, do do business with God where you are, and have an understanding of what He's trying to say to you as He said it to me. Would you stand with me? Maybe you're here this morning, and God has spoken to you, and you know that you need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you know that you need to have forgiveness of your sins. Now would be the perfect time for you to begin that relationship. You could come this morning. I can show you through scripture how to know Christ. Maybe you want to be obedient and following in believer's baptism or church membership, whatever it is you need to do this morning. Do it while we have time.